take climate change down to its impact on families and environments on a local level, it's, it's profound and it's here right now. The statistic I've read is about 50% of all coffee land will disappear by the year 2050. And that's a profound impact on people, on the environment, on economics. Coffee is a profitable marketplace and everybody involved in coffee can be doing a lot more to ensure that climate change doesn't destroy not only the planet, but coffee farmers' lives that we depend on. Welcome to Before It's Gone, the podcast about things we might lose and how we can save them. I'm Gretchen, and today's episode is all about coffee. Before It's Gone is listener-supported. To become a supporter, visit beforeitsgone.show and click on the donate button. Thank you. I love coffee. Like really, really, really love coffee. Maybe it started watching my dad, who always seemed to be making or drinking coffee. Or it could have been the year I spent in Brazil at the end of high school. In the morning, I drink a big cup of rich, delicious, milky coffee. And the rest of the day, there was always a tall thermos nearby, filled with hot, syrupy coffee to drink by the shot. In college, coffee makers weren't allowed in the dorms, but my roommate had an electric kettle, which was also probably illegal, and I'd use that to fill a French press. So I always drank a lot of coffee. I cut back some during pregnancy, but after my daughter was born, coffee intake in our house shot to record levels. And it stayed high. I really, really, really love coffee. So it scares me when I read that coffee might disappear. Just Google coffee and climate change. You'll find pages of articles about the threats from changing weather patterns. It's concerning. Should I start hoarding coffee now? Do I need to develop a taste for tea? So I reached out to Dean Saikon. He's the owner and founder of Dean's Beans and has been in the fair trade coffee business for decades. He started by explaining the various ways that climate change is affecting coffee. It's not good. The first is extreme weather events. So we're having many more hurricanes, droughts, tsunamis, storms than ever before. It's just off the charts. Those storms affect coffee production in many ways. One of them is a drought. Obviously, coffee can't grow. If it's a hurricane and heavy rainfall, it often leads to landslides, which wipe out some of the mountainside growing coffee 
destroys the roads so people can't get their coffee to market and destroys infrastructure. So there are a lot of really specific impacts from extreme weather events. In uh, Mexico, a number of years ago, about 20% of the coffee crop was wiped out by one major hurricane. So it's, it's profound impact. So that's the first part. Crazy weather, 100-year storms that come every couple years. But then there's the general warming that comes with global warming. Coffee as a plant can only thrive when the temperature is right at the time the plant is evolving. So for example, during the time when the plant is flowering, which then leads to the creation of the berry, just like an apple, you know, during that time, the proper temperature for coffee is 65 to 70 degrees during the day and then cooler at night. And the cool night kind of locks in the evolving chemicals. If that changes, then the bean matures too early and it doesn't develop flavor, acidity, and all the good things about coffee, but a lot of times it simply doesn't develop. It's a premature flowering. The flowers fall off too soon because it's too hot or the beans develop too fast and they never mature. So a changing temperature pattern can destroy the basis of the growing fruit. So in a warmer world, lots of places that grow coffee now won't be able to grow it anymore. Uganda is one unfortunate example. The majority of coffee in Uganda is Robusta and Lower Slope Arabica. It's predicted that by 2050, coffee will no longer be able to grow in those zones, which means that 90% of Ugandan coffee production will be eliminated. In Mexico, it's probably going to be about 50%. So it varies around the world. But that change in temperature has a profound impact on the ability to grow coffee at different altitudes. So climate change is producing stronger and more frequent storms. It's making traditional coffee growing regions hotter than the plants can stand. And the last thing it's doing is disrupting normal rainfall. What we're seeing already, and we see it here in, in the Northeast, is rainfall patterns being disrupted and changed. So in the coffee lands in many countries, drought and, and lower rainfall is occurring, which is leading to a, a diminution of uh, yield. In most of Central America, yield is down about 30% because of lower rainfall. Con conversely, in Colombia, it's actually a higher rainfall, which leads to rotting fruit. <laughs> so, you know, if it's not the right amount of rainfall for the particular plant, the plant won't grow. Another problem with rainfall changes is if it's more humid, it allows for pests to blossom and grow. So there are two pests for coffee. One is La Roya, the rust. And that's a problem that has la was last seen in the 1970s in Brazil, where it wiped out about two million acres of coffee production rapidly. What's been happening because of uh, changing rainfall patterns is that the rust has become a more powerful toxin. 
at the same time the plants are getting weaker so you get a stronger toxin and a stronger pest and a weaker plant as a result we're having widespread contamination by the rust and by the coffee borer which is a, a small pest this is what i'd been expecting to hear about in all the articles that i'd read the rust was the culprit cited most often for coffee's demise. And the statistic is about 30% of production has been destroyed by the rust. That's a statistic, but we know statistics don't tell the human cost. While 30% of the national average of Guatemalan and Mexican coffee has been destroyed by rust, which is definitely climate change related, on an individual basis, I've visited many, many farms where 100% of the crop is lost. The trees just die. Those trees take three to five years to produce. So think about it. If a farmer loses his or her entire crop, which is 100% of their income in most cases, and they need three to five years to start generating income again, it's not like they can go to the local Walmart and get a part-time job. There are no jobs in the mountains. Coffee is it. So what's happening is an entire class of farmer, millions of farmers, are losing their land and their livelihood for a three to five year period. And this is the part that I wasn't expecting to hear. I'd come into the interview worried about coffee. My coffee, will I be able to drink coffee? But it's not really about my coffee. This is about people's livelihoods, people's lives. What will happen is the shift in destruction of coffee crops that lead to the loss of livelihood for farmers, that lead to environmental refugees of several million people worldwide will happen in a very short time. It's actually already happening, but it's gonna speed up over the next decade. The ability of coffee to be grown in other places and moved around, that'll take longer than that. And those people are not gonna move from the Guatemalan highlands to Tanzania. So it's not exactly like, you know, we're gonna open up a new factory here and offer you all jobs in it. So the timing between the problem and potential solutions is really off. And that's, that's our serious issue. I've seen in the last year, two years, one cooperative we work with had to fold because the farmers simply couldn't produce enough coffee to jointly, even as a cooperative, export the coffee. So they end up selling their smaller batches to local coyotes or middlemen and getting 30 cents, 20 cents a pound for it. So that then, of course, drives those farmers deeper into poverty. And then they look at the coffee and say, what's the point of even growing this stuff? Why should, we should do something else or abandon the land. So that's happening right now as we speak to people I know in Nicaragua, Guatemala, and Mexico. So I had to ask, where is this going to go? Is there any good news? There are good trends and there are bad trends in the fields regarding climate change. The good trends 
are when farmers work for an interspecies environment, a mixed crop environment, which is forestry, coffee, food crops. The value of that, and that's what organic farms are based on, the value of that is for one thing, it busts up the possibility of La Roya, the rust, spreading through an airborne pattern. On a large-scale plantation, which is wide open, no trees, also called sun coffee, those plantations are very susceptible to the rust because it's airborne, so it spreads rapidly. But if you break that up with trees, with windrows, with interspersed crops, there's less likelihood for the rust to reach coffee in that way, and it will die if it's not fed properly. So that's the good news, that more farmers are becoming aware of the need for intercropping and, and mixed, mixed cover. The trend that goes against that is large-scale monoculture. So the larger the plantation, whether it's five acres or 500 acres, the more susceptible the crops are to climate change. The tension between the two is that as crop yields are going down as a result of the, the various aspects of climate change, many farmers are trying to increase crop yields. How do they do that? By cutting down trees and planting more coffee trees. And those trees then become sun trees, which requires pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, which leads to increased erosion. So it's this, it's this cascading effect of climate change can change the environment, and then you have a choice. You can try to make the environment better, or you can try to increase coffee production. If you make the environment better, your yields may be lower for a couple of years, but you're creating a healthy environment and long-term sustainability for your coffee farm. If you go for the short-term fix of just planting more coffee trees, cutting down trees, in the short run of a couple of years, you may have higher yields and more coffee, but in the long run, you're only exacerbating the problems of climate change. So it seems that coffee is set up for a battle between long-term ecological health and short-term economic gain. This doesn't usually turn out well. These are the two paths forward. On one hand, we have the fair trade and organic movement that is trying to assist farmers towards healthier land use. And on the other hand, we've got the movement towards more coffee. Let's get more coffee out there. And large companies, which I don't have to name, are actually moving to create plantations in China because of the vast amounts of land there that hopefully they'll be able to just keep cranking out more and more production. Of course, China is also impacted by climate change, so we'll see where that goes in the long run. But there's the tension in the industry. Is it going to be high quality, small producer, environmentally sensitive coffee, or is it gonna be mass produced, get it out there so we can keep the big companies in business coffee? Luckily, there are other people who are just as worried about coffee as I am. At the Paris talks, coffee was identified as the first crop that the international community will focus resources on to make coffee sustainable, okay? 
it's the first crop. Now, the positive side to that is the attention and the resources that should be brought to address climate change's impact on coffee. But of course, international programs take years to get off the ground. The negative aspect of that is basically what's happening is we're creating yet another playground for multinational corporations and multinational aid organizations to put their efforts, which in the past haven't borne fruit in anything. So I don't put a lot of hope in international aid organizations and UN agencies to really do anything on the ground of significance in the time we have left. So it's up to the consumers, the roasters, the farmers to work together to address these issues on a micro level, such as learning dry land techniques, such as alternative income for coffee farmers. There are organizations doing that. We've been doing that since 1993 helping farmers learn how to grow other things. You'd think farmers would know that on their own, right? I'm a farmer, I can grow all these different crops. Well, it ain't like that. Even in the United States, a tobacco farmer grows tobacco. They don't know how to grow bok choy. Coffee can't be a sole source income product anymore for the majority of rural coffee farmers. They need to diversify. And that's gonna happen on the local level. It's not gonna happen from international organizations. It really is about these small, local changes. And that means that consumers and coffee drinkers actually have a huge role to play. Every cup of coffee you buy, you can be either helping a coffee family or driving them deeper into poverty. The easiest thing to do is to know that if you're buying organic coffee, certified organic coffee, a lot of people claim organic and it's not, it has to be certified organic, and fair trade. And once again, people use the term, I see it all the time, fair trade, direct trade, and, and most consumers really don't have a clue as to what that means because people are using the names indiscriminately since there's no legal standard for fair trade and direct trade. There is for organic. That's a legal standard, a national and international program. Step one is to look for those labels to at least see that there's some connection between that roaster and that farmer, that the purchases the roaster is making are at least not having the worst impact, but are possibly having a good impact. Then if the consumer cares enough, they can go deeper onto the websites of those companies and start to look around to see if they're really doing something or it's a lot of words. There's one word in particular that Dean is not fond of. For me, I think that the word sustainable should be banned, just like all natural. It has no legal meaning, anybody can say it, and every coffee company I know is saying that their coffee is sustainable. Well, that's really interesting, considering coffee is not sustainable right now, given climate change. So if coffee is unsustainable, I ask Dean what he thinks the industry will look like in the year 2050. By the year 2050, coffee production is really going to look different. I don't think there will be 21 million coffee families in the world. It may be 15. So now we've created an economic and environmental refugee problem of a serious magnitude. You know, the Syrian refugee problem is like between two and three million, and that's horrendous. But when you talk about 10 million, 
environmental refugees from global south communities pouring into where? The cities of the, of the global south, there's no jobs there. So where are they gonna come? Here, that's what we've seen already on our border and obviously in Europe too. Uh, environmental refugees are the, the story between now and 2050. So that's one major impact. The amount of coffee that'll be around on the world market, it'll probably be roughly the same because as I said, companies are opening up China to grow massive amounts of coffee. So coffee production will shift and there'll probably be about the same amount of coffee, maybe a little less. But um, the coffee farmer families will suffer the most. The places where we've traditionally seen coffee grow will be reduced dramatically. Cheaper forms of coffee will be grown because we need plants that are more tolerant of the changes and extremes. Well, the tolerant plants are based on the Robustas, which is a cheaper quality coffee. And I don't have to name brand names, but anybody who compares like a really good organic coffee, specialty coffee, with some supermarket coffee, you know the difference. It's, it's sour, it's bitter, it just doesn't have the flavor. That's because the bean developed quicker to tolerate, you know, because it's mostly sun-grown, to tolerate those environmental conditions. So I think the quality of coffee is going to change dramatically over, over the next uh, 30 years as well. So that's a pretty depressing outlook. I asked Dean if there's anything that gives him hope. I am hopeful. I think, especially Americans, we're not actors, we are reactors. We don't address a problem until it's shoved in our face. Well, climate change is really starting to shove things in our face. So we will react and we will react strongly and we will put resources and talent like Americans do to solve a problem. The issue is, do we have the time? And for a lot of the coffee farmers in the world, we don't have the time because the technology, the techniques won't be evolved and won't be implemented in time for, you know, Miguel in Chiapas not to lose his land, for Maria del Carmen in Guatemala not to lose her land, and on and on and on. These are people I know whose lives are impacted now and will probably lose their land long before we really figure all this out. Will we be okay in the long run? Yes. We'll adjust, but coffee farmers around the world, they're in for a rough decade. Thanks for listening to Before It's Gone. Before It's Gone is produced by Video for Good and hosted by me, Gretchen Seacrest. Before It's Gone is listener supported. To become a supporter, visit beforeitsgone.show and click on the donate button. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more or listen to other episodes, visit beforeitsgone.show. 
You can get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about another one of my favorite things, ice cream. Here's a preview of my conversation with Chris Miller from Ben & Jerry's. They're worried about coffee too, and also other flavors like vanilla and chocolate. But really, it all comes down to the cows. If you think about our, our, our sort of impact and what's in a pint, it's, we're a dairy company. I mean, we, we buy a whole bunch of milk and cream and that's our, obviously our single biggest purchase from an ingredient perspective. It's also where our largest impact is, uh, uh, both sort of negative, but also potential positive impact. That's next time on Before It's Gone. Thanks again for listening. Keep in touch at beforeitsgone.show.